Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Good morning, Harbor Church. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, We are right in the middle of the fall season, also coming around Halloween. I thought, man, what a good time to start off a series called Haunted House. We could talk about the things that scare us or push people away, some of that kind of stuff. I was looking online and uh, it said that there were uh, three animals that scared people the most. They did like this big online survey and in the top three were mice, spiders, and snakes. Now, you can vote for yourself or you can vote for what you think other people said. How many of you would say mice are the thing that people are most scared of? Anybody say, that's mice, that's me, mice. That's in the top three. By the way, number four was bees and number five was dogs. But in the top three of these, so there's mice, then there's spiders. How many would say spiders is mine? That's the one that scares me the most or that's what I think people said. How many would say snakes? All right. So the actual number one answer was spiders. Spiders are the number one thing that scare people. Those of you that are tuning online, you can just vote for what yours is. Play along with us. Um, I found it interesting that people were more afraid of them than snakes. I thought that was kind of weird. But hey, whatever you're afraid of, um, we put it under your seat, so you're good. Um, just for the people that were too cool to raise their hands. That, that's just for you. Uh, man, I'm so glad you guys are here. This is, a, this is a cool series that we're going to be kicking off. My name is Josh. For those of you that are tuning in online, thank you. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and uh, we are talking about that scary truth or the scary things behind religion. I don't know about you guys growing up. I, I moved around a lot. I, I, I moved around um, eight or nine times just in the United States to different states growing up as a kid. So I got to be in a lot of different kind of communities and cultures. But almost everywhere I went, there was a place where there was, uh, that had a reputation for being scary. There was a house in the neighborhood that was scary. I remember one place I lived, it was Miss Jenkins' house. And all the kids knew about it. Anybody have any of these kind of places, an old factory or a house that was torn down or kind of just an abandoned place or a scary place? It had a reputation, am I right? There was a place where you would be like, you and your friends on the school bus would be like, yeah, I dare you to go there. You're like, I know. And like, I mean, like it just had this, this idea that it was, it was haunted or it was going to scare somebody or it was going to get you or that like, kids that went in there, they never come back. So you kind of encourage some of your lesser friends. You're like, you go. You're like, I'm just kidding. That was just me. Um, the, uh, the idea was that they had this, they were known for being weird or off-putting or scary. And what I wanted to talk about today is the fact that I think that's the church. The modern day equivalent of that would be uh, the local church because they have a reputation in their communities for being off-putting, for being weird. Let's just call it. It's scary or intimidating or weird or just awkward. And that's the reputation that churches have amongst a lot of the people, especially in the culture that we live in. You guys aren't nodding your head. Maybe you don't think you're weird. You and I can have a conversation. You're weird. I promise you. Um, we're weird. And, and let's, rather than act like that's not true, there is a truth to it. There's also a part that's not valid. And I'll explain that here in a second. But there's, there's a part to it that's truly valid. When I ask my friends who don't believe in God, who don't want to go to church, who don't think that what I'm doing with my life has any value, there's, I mean, they like me, they were friends, but they're like, dude, it's crazy. You, you give up a Sunday morning every Sunday to go talk to a guy that I don't even believe exists. So it's, it's awkward for them to understand what it is that we're doing. And you may be one of those people. You might be here today because somebody asked you to come. Uh, you lost a bet, or I don't know, but you're here. You're turn it, tuning in online, and you don't really believe in God, or you don't know the value of church. And 
I understand that it's, it can be off-putting in and of itself. When I was a kid, I had a friend whose family was, I thought, perfect, man. These guys were awesome. I grew up in a, I'm the middle of five kids. My house was never perfect. It was always something going on, always a little bit of a mess. The laundry was never 100% done. And there's always something. I go to their house, you didn't see laundry. You didn't see toys out. Everything was clean. Everything looked well, put, like, like put together. When they would get off the bus, their clothes matched, you know, like me, I was like, ah, you know, like I'm just like walking off. I'm the epitome of the Adams family. Um, it was, it was just a weird thing. So I remember like, these guys are perfect. And then finally I sat down to dinner with them one night and something happened and they just started going at each other. And then this one, this one got mad. And they're like, like going at each other. And I was like, yes, they're not perfect. This is amazing. You know? And so there is an element like when you're like, okay, Hey, I'm not the only messed up one. Let's just, let's just call it what it is today. There's some awkward ugliness to church. That's valid. On one side, if that's what you think or if that's what you believe, that there is some really ugly, messed up stuff to church, I want, to, I want you to know that you're right. Christians are weird. A lot of the stuff that you see about religion is broken. I put out a couple different surveys and asked people what it is they don't like about church. And man, I got some really sad stuff. My inbox was full of stories about people that were mistreated, some of the scandals that they were involved in, or some of the things that they saw happen, some of the, some of the ways that religion just let them down or hurt them, broke them, personal stories of how they were affected. It broke my heart. And so there is a lot of truth to that. We have some dirty laundry that uh, I'm going to kind of put out in front of everybody today. There's another part to that. If you're here and that's how you feel about God, I want you to understand that's not God's fault. The ugliness that you see, the, the stuff that you are made aware of about church, about religion, that's man's fault. What God designed when he created everything, man corrupted it. We corrupted it from the beginning at the Garden of Eden. We screwed up God's plan. God put in a beautiful plan to redeem us and restore that, and we keep screwing that up. Jesus came and, and, and set us up when he left. After dying for our sins, he left us with the plan called the local church. And he sends out his disciples to start churches so that people can find out about God's love. And they can find that redemption. They can find that salvation. And even in that beautiful plan, man messed it up. We have found a way to creep into everything God does and be like, I think it'd be better if we did this. And I think it'd be better if we did this. And some of this stuff doesn't matter. But a lot of the things that we've done to religion, to church, just screws it up. And now we fight over stupid things. My church has stained glass. My church doesn't even have windows. My church has pews. My church has chairs. My church has a choir. None of that stuff's in the Bible. And yet, it's stuff we fight about, stuff we get bent out of shape about. It's stuff that other people are going, I don't even need to go in that building. It's just a bunch of crazies. If, whichever side that you fall on, I think it's, it's good to take a, a real realistic look at some of the complaints not because they're valid of God, it's not God's fault, but because they're valid about us. And you and I are jacked up, and we've got some dirty laundry, and uh, I think it'd be healthy for us to just own it. Own what it is that's going on in our lives that is off-putting to other people that are looking for hope, and then they go, hey, whatever she's got, whatever he's selling, no, I don't want it. Look at him. That's not valid. One of the things I got most, heard most, was that the church is filled with hypocrites. The church has got so much hypocrisy, so hypocritical. And when you boil it down to the people that are inside the church, that's absolutely true. 
Hypocrisy is not true of God. God was never hypocritical. God has not been, and I'll explain that at the end on, on how a loving God can also be a God who brings judgment because that seems like hypocrisy. But inside, when it comes to you and I on a one-on-one basis, we are absolutely hypocrites. Okay, I don't know if you've never heard me preach before. If you don't start nodding your heads when I say we, I'm going to change that to you, okay? Because I know, I, I know I'm a hypocrite. All right, let, let me remind you, this is what hypocrisy means. It means claiming to have a moral standard of, uh, or belief to which one's own behavior does not conform. To have a moral standard or belief to which your own behavior doesn't conform. To believe something, to want something, but to not apply it to your own life. That's hypocrisy. When you look at other people and you're like, you should be doing this and you should be doing this. Don't have that attitude and do this. And you've got an opinion on other, other people acting a certain way, but you don't hold that same standard to yourself. That's hypocrisy. That's being overly judgmental. And it's one of the most common. It was the number one thing that I heard from my friends who don't go to church and don't believe in God is the thing that they saw that was the most off-putting. And we're going to cover some other stuff in this series, but I thought, let's just, I mean, let's just, let's take a big old bite right out of the gate. Let's talk about hypocrites, okay? Those of you that don't like church and don't like Christians and don't like God, you might love this, okay? You're like, yeah, bunch of hypocrites. The church does, the people inside church, the men and women who make up religious stuff, they deserve that critique. It's not fair of God or what Jesus did because we see he calls it out. If you have a Bible, we're going to jump through some different passages. I want to remind you in Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus does call people out for being hypocritical. You want to know the number one group that Jesus calls hypocrites? It wasn't wasn't the prostitutes who were coming to him for forgiveness. It wasn't the tax collectors who were stealing from their very own friends and neighbors. It was the religious people. The highest level of religious people, the priests and scribes and scholars and Pharisees, the ones that went to church every week, the ones who posted Bible verses on their modern-day version Instagram, Facebook, okay? Do you, do you understand where the, how the parallel might work today? Those are the people that Jesus says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. He didn't have a problem with messed up people who recognized they were messed up. He had a problem with people who were messed up and didn't realize that they were messed up or were messed up and like to look at other people around them that are more messed up. Those are the people he was frustrated with. It's one of the reasons that our core value here at Harbor Church is that we're messed up and we love messed up people. Once you recognize you're messed up, now you don't have to look down your nose at other, other people. You're like, yeah, hey, all right. <laughs> Welcome to the club. I'm jacked up too. It doesn't mean, you're, doesn't mean you celebrate being messed up, but it means that you don't have to live in denial or have to pretend like you're perfect. The people that came to Jesus going, I'm broken and I'm screwed up. Jesus, help me. Those are the people that said, that Jesus says, I love your heart. Let's, let's do some work. It was the people who walked around going, I'm pretty well put together. I've, uh, yes, I've, I've got it. I, I don't make mistakes. I'm, I'm right there along with you, Jesus. Me and Jesus, pretty perfect. It's those people that Jesus is like, hypocrite. 
Let me see. Let me show you. This is just one of many, many, many times. In verse number 27 of Matthew chapter 23, he actually gives a, 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 like a little demonstration. He gives like a little uh, hyperbole here. He says, listen, what sorrow awaits you, you teachers, you pastors, you priests, you people who represent what God is trying to do, you messed it up in this, this man-made religion thing. What, what sorrow awaits you, you hypocrites, you look like tombs. Now that sounds weird, but back then they would wash and paint the outside of the tombs and put flowers. And he goes, on the outside, you look really pretty, but its inside is filled with death and decay. Now he's using that to illustrate a point. Religion doesn't save you just for the record. Coming to church, and listen, nobody's glad, more happy that you're here than I am. I'm stoked that you came to church. But coming to church doesn't make you better. Coming to church doesn't fix you. Jesus fixes you from the inside. And I hope that it begins to demonstrate itself on the outside. I hope on the outside you begin to love your neighbor more. You begin to care for the weak. You begin to pour into people that need help. You begin to turn away from temptations. That's a great outside effect after something takes place on the inside. But if you're here and you just want to fake the outside and keep the inside rotten and decayed, you're just like them. You're a hypocrite. And before you start thinking, well, pastor's preaching to somebody sitting next to me. No, I'm preaching to you. Every single one of us love to be like, oh, I got it. Let's take a good look inside. Is there some death? Is there some decay? Is there something inside of us that we are allowing to fester? And then we just try to because it's got, we got a good filter on life. Let's scan till people can't see it. Click, I'm pretty good. And then because we can tell other people that we're okay, we somehow begin to believe that we don't have to deal with it. Then we are just as guilty as they are. And it says, listen, you're filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. This is what Jesus came to fix. This is what Jesus came to fix. And he, he teaches us this also in the book of Matthew. You can turn to Matthew chapter 7. This is one of my favorite passages. Matthew chapter 7. We're only going to read a few verses here. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. And it starts with this. Do not judge others. Number one thing in my inbox Church is judgmental, filled with judgmental people. This is what God says. Hey, do not judge others. Now, I'm going to clarify where we do help each other. But he says, hey, do not judge each other and you will not be judged. For you'll be treated as you treat others. Remember that rule? Love your neighbor like you, want to, like you love yourself. When you start treating other people the way you want to be treated, that works both ways. Love them the way you want to be loved. But also recognize when you start treating them Portly, you're looking down on them, you're holding them to a standard you don't hold yourself. That's how you're going to be treated as well. So it works in the positive, but it also comes to bite you in the butt in the negative. Nobody? It's the quietest Sunday I've ever had in Harbor Church. I don't know what the heck's going on in here. All right, so he says, listen, the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Don't worry about the church today. If you worry about you individually, and you're a part of Harbor Church, God will take care of Harbor Church. Even if you say, hey, I'm not a part of Harbor, this message is still for you. This is, this is going to help you at home. This is going to help you in your marriage. This is going to help you with your kids or with your parents, with your students or your teachers, your classmates, your teammates. This is going to help you with your roommate. This is going to help you with people that you work with, the people you work for, and the people who work under you. If you learn to address hypocrisy in your own life, here's what he says. Use the standard by which you want to be judged. You want to know why this is hard? Because when it comes to, to problems, we give ourselves all the slack. 
And when it comes to other people who hurt us or offend us or annoy us, how much slack do we cut them? When it comes to you and your spouse or you and a family member, you and a friend, and they annoy you, it's because they're stupid and ignorant and they're selfish and they don't love you and they don't consider you and blah, blah, blah. You got all the reasons why, why their attitude or their activity is, is hurtful to you, don't you? But time out. Guys, I, I, I don't know if I told you before we started this series. I'm about ready to dance all over your feet, okay? Time out, because I want you to think about when you're the giant jerk. When you're the butthole who does something really mean, really hateful, when you're late, or when you say something you shouldn't, or when you do something you shouldn't, or when you're inconsiderate, or when you, 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 you just aren't, you aren't, you aren't there for them the way they want, when you do the mean thing, what do you do? You give yourself a pass. Because you know why you did it. I'm so tired. I had such a bad day. I, 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 I had other people be mean to me. That's why it just came out on you. I love you, but just let me vent a little bit because they vented. And you have all the reasons. I was late because traffic. I was, I, I, it's not that I don't love you or I don't care about this appointment. It's just that you know, I, had, I got stuck behind a school bus. I just, we give ourselves all the reasons for why our actions aren't the way we really want to be perceived, right? If you come across as a jerk, if you come across as inconsiderate, as mean or condemning, you give yourself a pass because you know all the things that happened to you today. You judge yourself by a standard that you don't pass on to other people. Seriously? How many times, those of you that are married, how many times are you so done and don't want to cut them any slack, your spouse? Because, man, it's about the 10th time we've had to talk about this, and I'm so frustrated. If I don't get some help, if I, you know, whatever. If they turn that around on you, the first thing is like, whoa, 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 do you not know what I've been going through? Do you not know how tired I am, what I've been dealing with? Kids, when your parents come down on you, you're like, whoa, time out. You need to worry about you. I've got all this stuff going on, and you don't appreciate, you don't understand what it's like to be my age or deal with what I'm dealing with. Parents, your kids start coming back. Like, this, these kids don't appreciate anything. They don't know anything. They don't know what it's like to be my age and what I've gone through. We love to, to look at us as though we are completely justified, but they are not. Just what if, church, what if in your own personal life back home, Tomorrow morning, Wednesday night, what if the people who just right in your grill, what if you just assumed for them all the things you want them to assume for you? What if the person that hurts you, maybe even stabbed you in the back, talked bad about you? So now we're talking about enemies. What if they have a misunderstanding? Truly, they're broken and we get it, but so are you. You're broken. What if, every, what if you gave everybody the pass that you're giving yourself? The justification. What if you just assumed tomorrow that person who hurt your feelings or didn't send you the text res- response fast enough or, 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 or did something to you at work, took the last donut? What if the thing that is annoying you tomorrow, what if you just cut them the slack that you would want them to cut you if it was in reverse? Hey, I don't know if this kid that just walked in and back-talked me like they somehow better than me Oh, hold up. Maybe they got something going on in their home life that I don't know about. Hey, maybe this person that I love, a family member, a friend, they are just unleashing venom on me. Maybe they just got dumped on all day, and I'm the first safe person they can be around. 
Now, they really, truthfully, it doesn't justify their actions of dumping on you. But what if instead of you being like, what? Let's go at it. What if you're just like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show some patience because sometimes I just vomit venom because I just got poured on all day and it's the first person I can let my hair down around and I just say stupid stuff. Yeah, surprise, I say stupid stuff. I know none of you are like, we're not shocked, Pastor. Um, <laughs> but what if that's the standard? You know, hypocrisy goes out the window when we begin to hold ourselves to the thing that we want to try to hold other people to or vice versa if we hold them to what we want for ourselves. We're talking about patience, humility. He goes on to say, this is where it gets good. Why, verse number three, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? The hyperbole here is great. The, the metaphor is awesome. This, this illustration. You're trying to walk around and get a little sawdust out of somebody's eye and you got a two by four sticking out. He's painting a picture and it's comical because you'd be like, ah, uh, can you imagine walking into a doctor's office? And you're like, I just got something in my eye. And the doctor walks in and it's got a two by four sticking out there. Like, let me look at that. Let me take a look at that. You're like, no, no, not you. I'm good. I'm good. I'll get a different doctor. One who's got some depth perception, somebody who doesn't have a two-by-four sticking out. Well, of course, that's, that's what we would all want. The expectation would be that you would deal with that before you would ever try to deal with something in my life. Same thing spiritually. It's the same thing going on. You're going to be considered a hypocrite when you refuse to deal with the glaring problem in your life, and yet you want to play doctor in everybody else's. Oh, man, it's too quiet for that. I'm just going to rewind it for a second. Let that marinate, because some of your relationships, you need to hear this. You're going to continue to come across as the hypocrite to other people when you refuse to deal with the glaring problem in your own life, and yet you want to go give advice and play doctor for other people. Does that mean I'm not supposed to help other people? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means you need to understand that they're going to see the two-by-four in your life and that they're not going to want to look at the sawdust in their own. Should they get sawdust out of their eye? Yes. If they've got sawdust in their eye, yes, that's, a, that's annoying. I don't want a speck in my eye. It's, it's gross. It's, it's, man, it irritates. It's bite. They should deal with that. Here's what the hypocrite does. You see the sawdust in their eye? You see the sawdust in her eye? I can't believe they have sawdust in their eye. Man, she's had sawdust in her eye for three years. Hello, two by four. Shut your mouth. Worry about yourself. This is where we struggle, and this is why people don't really want to be around us. And that goes for everybody in this room. Everybody in this room. The problem is, when you bring it to a church level, church seems to come across as like, fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this. And then church has these glaring beams in their own eye. Religion, over time, has become known for being very biased. The bigotry in church, the scandals in church, the greed that's prevalent in church, the hypocrisy in church, boils down not to a God who designed it that way, but to men and women who sit in the seats and refuse to take what God is saying and apply it to themselves. They want to apply it to everybody else. That'll preach. All right, let's move on. When you can't see past the log in your own eye, verse number five, hypocrite, exclamation point, Get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You don't have the depth perception right now to be able to help somebody else because you've got something going on in your own life. Here's, and maybe you were a part of a church like this. I remember one of the churches I went to, everybody had to be perfect. 
everybody had to look the right way and talk the right way and act the right way and know the secret handshakes or whatever. It was just crazy. Just, as a kid, I'm like, I'm like the only sinner in this room. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, <laughs> fly under the radar. It wasn't true. They were jacked up, messed up people. They had just gotten good at hiding it. And when you hide your sin long enough, you can't get any help for it because you have to pretend like you don't have that struggle. You have to pretend like you, you don't, you're not tempted with that, that you haven't fallen. There's, an, there's a part of the humility that it takes to say, I've got something broken. I am a dumpster fire that I need something perfect like God to reach into my life and to help me. And you just keep acting like you're not. I'm not on fire. <laughs> You're not on fire. You're just going to get consumed. Faking it doesn't work. Pretending like you're not in a certain way doesn't work. Let me remind you, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 talks about what happens when we begin to judge others. You bring that up for me. It says, you may think that you can condemn people, that you can be sitting this way and judging them, but you, you're just as bad. If you ever needed to underline some things, there's some verses I'm going to give you today that you need to underline. If you don't have a Bible, at least write this on your note card. You have no excuse. We are an excuse-driven culture. Rather than say, I'm messed up, rather than say, I screwed up, I have a bad attitude, we come up with an excuse for why we do it. In all of our judgmental ways, we have no excuse. When you say they're wicked, they should be punished, you're condemning yourself. What if all the things that you spewed out about people last week was just listed and it was all put on you she's this way he's that way they're broken they're selfish put all the things you thought about people all the things that you put on other people if what was all put right back on you listed onto your account man i'd start being a heck of a lot nicer You're walking around like he's so handsome man they're in great like i would start i would be way more complimentary wouldn't i come on Nobody? Come on. Like, what if all those things were just like, that's what you had to, you had to carry around a billboard about you saying all the things that you, you voiced about other people or thought about other people. Man, we would change how we think, wouldn't we? Be a heck of a lot more patient. She was mean, but I'm sure she's got some things going on in her life. <laughs> right? Right? Come on. So this is what it's saying. And it goes on. It says, for you, are the, for you who judge others do these very same things things the, the the things that you love to put on other people they're put on you it says this we know that god we know god because it comes back we want to say hypocrisy is this is church thing is a god problem it's a bible problem it's not it's a you and i messed up people inside the church problem god and his justice will punish people for who who do these kind of things people who who look down on others and judge others and have stuff going on for others that they don't want to apply to themselves. Since you judge others, is what verse number three says, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment and doing the same things? And this is a part that that needs to come back because we are being told not to be judgmental because we know there is a God who does render judgment and we will have to answer for our critiques and our criticism and our hypocrisy one day. And I'll come back to that here in a minute. But that's, that's what, this is, what this passage is trying to teach us. I want to show you some practical application. This is what it looks like in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Let me pause there for a second. This answer, some of you are going, so what, are we never supposed to say anything to anybody else? No. 
There is a part of walking together. There's a value of going to church with other people because people can look into your life and go, hey, there's some stuff that's not healthy. Hey, you look like you're hurting. You look like you're struggling. How can I walk alongside of you and help you get better? That's the right way to do it. That's the value of being around other people. It's the reason we sing songs together before I get up and and dance all over your toes is because sometimes I just want to be encouraged that I'm not the only one. That I'm not the only one that needs God to meet me again. That I'm not the only one who needs some power in their life to get past some of the dark spots. I like to be around you guys, not because I think you're perfect or not because I think I'm better or you're better, but because I think, hey, we need to go through life together. Living in Massachusetts day in and day out can be rough. Going through what we go through every day can be tough. I want to be around other people that are looking for some hope, that are leaning on Jesus, because sometimes I need to be reminded of that myself. And that's the great value of being a part of a church. He says, listen, when you're around other people, there is a way to help other people. It's not this condescending, judgmental, fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this. That's not how he says to do it. Church reputation, if the people in the church did it the way Jesus did it, we wouldn't have that moniker of being so hypocritical. If Maybe you're here and you still haven't made your mind up about Jesus or God. You will still be greatly benefited by simply modeling how Jesus treated other people. He did it this way because he was godly. He did it gently and humbly. Gently and humbly helped that person back on the right path. You know what's hypocritical? To be on the wrong path and be like, you need to be over there. That's the right path. Hey, home slice, what are you doing? Why are you telling me what to do when you're not even on the right path yourself? Jesus was on the right path, and he says, hey, let me help you up. Let me, let me get you out of that gutter. Let's go. And he did it gently and humbly. He was an incredibly respected rabbi. He was performing miracles. And by the way, he was perfect. And yet he would sit down next to the people that society had abandoned. He would sit next to the people strung out, the drunks, the the broken, the prostitutes, the the, the thieves. He would sit down next to the prisoners. He'd sit next to the lepers that nobody would touch. The people society had forgotten about. He'd sit down, put his arm around him, and say, hey, I love you. Let me help you back up onto the right path. That was gentle and humble Jesus. Why don't the people inside church model that? Should have said, heard a couple amens there. I don't know. That's fine. Whatever, guys. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Hey, do you know all they do is gossip? What? Yeah, that, she's so cocky. I would never do that. Oh, tons of humility. Yeah, I'm the most humble. Whatever. Here's a cool part. The very next verse says this. Share each other's burdens. What if in your family... What if in some of the people that you're having the most fights with right now, the most contention, what if instead of judging them or trying to correct them or to tell them what's up, what if you shared their burden? Man, it got heavy, didn't it? I like to critique their burden. I like to tell them what's up. I like to let them know how I would never do that. I like to tell them how they need to just change their attitude. They just need to start being better. They need to stop that. We like that part, don't we? We don't like to share their burden part. Jesus said, why don't you come to me, put the yoke around me. I'll I'll team up with you and carry your burden. You and I can walk together. This is how Jesus modeled it. He would put 
their weight on his shoulders and then pull, him, pull them under and said, hey, I'll carry this with you. And he was really actually carrying it for them. Share each other's burdens, and this way obey the law of Christ. If you think, oh, remember I said you got to underline some stuff? Oh, underline this. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're making yourself a fool. And then the next line, you are not <laughs> that important. I could just shut the Bible, drop the mic, and walk out. If we would understand, we are not as important as we think we are. We love to sit up there on that throne of judgment and be like, oh, I can't believe somebody would dare disrespect me. I can't believe somebody would hurt my feelings, waste my time, take my money, do this thing. We love to sit there and God goes, hey, you're not that important. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Jesus left heaven and was born in a manger. The amount of humility he showed is to demonstrate to you and I that we're not above anybody. That whatever it takes to carry burdens with somebody is what we should be doing. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you'll get satisfaction from a job well done. Pay very, very careful attention to everybody else around you. Make sure you're in their business. That's exactly what that verse says. Nope. Pay attention to your own work. That's how you'll get satisfaction for a job well done. You don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Guys, this is written thousands of years ago. It's like it was written yesterday. We are in a culture that loves to compare. And then when we find ourselves lacking, we become bitter and jealous and hateful and judgmental and resentful. You focus on you and what you need to do and don't compare yourself to other people. I love verse number five. We are each responsible for our own conduct. You know who you have to answer for? That jerk who cut you off. Oh, that's not what it says. You know what you have to answer for? Your response to that jerk who cut you off. Now it changes, right? Guys, I'm really, I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm the worst sinner in this room. You guys are looking at me like, I don't ever respond like that. No, I, I do. I like, I'm like anti-pastor when I'm in a car. Like, I'll be honest with you. I just got back from being overseas. I had to drive on the wrong side of the car, on the wrong side of the road. That was stressful. I would get to intersections. There's no stoplights up. They're all down low. And they're like three clustered together. It's like one, two, three right here on the same corner. And signs everywhere. And this one was green. This one was red. And this one was green. I'm like, which one is me? Which one's me? I don't know. My wife's like, go. And I'm like, I don't think I can go. And there's people honking. I'm like, you're honking at me? I don't know. I'm not at me. I'm gonna... And then I'm like, I'm starting to go. And then like somebody comes in front. I'm like, what are you driving here for? I'm like, I don't know. Ah! I would be on the road, I'm not lying, there's no guardrails, it's a single lane, we're up really high, and there's be like somebody like just right on my tail, we're doing 80 around roads that are wet, and I'm like, I can't go any faster, I don't know what's coming. I would slow down, some like grandma would like blow past me, like, tourists. <laughs> it makes me feel so much more patience for everybody around Cape Cod when I'm like, what are you doing? Just drive. Maybe, just maybe they don't know where they're going. Maybe they don't know what's happening here. I am never patient. I never cut anybody any other slack. But when it's me, please cut me slack. Please don't honk at me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so, man, I'm so bound up. It's, it's amazing how if you got the script turned on you, you could have a perspective change and your heart changes, huh? Isn't that crazy? We're each responsible for our own conduct. We're each responsible for how we act. So if we're going to change the way we act, how do we do that? 
If you're going to walk out of this room different than the way you walked in, what are you going to do tomorrow to be less of a hypocrite? Good answer. We're, <laughs> I'm just going to try. Here's what the, the Bible talks about. Uh, it, in James, it refers to itself as a mirror. That you need to take a good look in the mirror and see what's up. If you walked up and saw your own reflection and you had like half of a salad worth of spinach in your teeth, what are you going to do? You're like, oh, crap, man, I'm going to fix it. You walk up and you see your flies down. Before you walk out, you're going to fix what's wrong because you don't want to go present it. There's a part of taking a good look at yourself before you go engage everybody else. That's to get the beam out of your eye. The Bible refers to itself as a mirror. It says that it's, in, in Timothy, it says that it's, 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 a, um, it's, it's an alive word. It refers to itself as sharper than uh, any two-edged sword. In 2 Timothy it says, and when it says that, it says it's basically, it, it can do surgery in your life, even down to your attitude. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says that all scripture is inspired. It's breathed out by God. Everything that you read in the Bible is God's instructions to you. And if it's a mirror for you to look at yourself and see what's jacked up about yourself, then as you read it, understand this is from God. And as you begin to put layer and layer together, verse and verse together, you begin to see what you should be and what you shouldn't be. This is what it says. It teaches us, here's, here's the four things it does. God's word, that Bible that you have, and if you don't have a Bible, let us know on your response card. Say, hey, I need a Bible. We've got a free Bible for you. Because what it says is that the Bible is what's going to teach you what's true, help you realize what's wrong, helps you correct it, and helps you do the right thing. It lets you see, hey, you're going down, you, like, like, that's the wrong path. And if you find yourself on the wrong path, it says, hey, wake up. This is not healthy for you. This life that you're doing, this, 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 this problem that you're indulging in, this thing that you're giving uh, control of yourself over to, this, this habit, this whatever, this is not healthy. So it tells you to avoid it. But then if you found yourself already in it, it helps correct that. And then it says, hey, this is how we get you pulled out of that. And then at the end, hey, here's how we avoid going back down that wrong path again. This is what God's word does for us to teach us to help us realize the wrong, to correct us, to teach us to do right. If you will take God's word and you will apply it to your life, you will be different. Because as much as we love to dance around and pretend we're perfect, when stacked up to a perfect God, we're not. All I have to do is spend a few minutes looking at how Jesus acted and how he responded and how he treated people, and I've got more than enough things to worry about for Josh. I've got more than a long enough list to focus on ways I could be more Christ-like. I don't even have time to worry about all the people who have offended me today. And that, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if everybody focused on themselves as far as corrections go? I want you to think a little bit about today's response card. You do not have to do this, but I would encourage you if you would. There's one on everybody's seat. There's something I'd like you to try different. If you'll actually mark this card, if you'll fill this card out and drop it in the baskets at the end, I'll pray for you as you go through it. I think it's always good to let somebody know that you're making a commitment. Now, you could do this personally. You don't have to do this at all. But you could make a commitment to leave here being less hypocritical. I think if you're honest, anybody healthy would say, I don't really want to be a hypocrite. I don't really want to have a standard that I don't hold myself to. Well, how can I get better at being less judgmental, less of a hypocrite? I put it in three words, reflect, repent, and replace. What if this week you committed to 
examining your own faults instead of focusing on others. Let's take a look in the mirror. See if you can find that beam. You look at what you may need to work on. It's very easy to look at somebody else and go, they're broken, they screwed up, I wish they would do this, change that. Just worry about you. What if you found that and then next repented? Acknowledge your sin and ask for forgiveness. This is key. Because without repentance, you're bragging, okay? When you find what's broken in you and then you don't stop and you don't go, hey, I'm, I, I don't need to do this anymore, you're pretty much bragging about your sin. Acknowledge you have a bad attitude from time to time. Nobody? Okay. You're selfish from time to time. You react in anger when you should react a differently. You should react a different way. There's times that you, you cut yourself more slack than you'll cut anybody else. There's times when you're quick to assume the worst about somebody. What if you found those faults in your own life? Maybe God's already pricked your heart this morning about a couple of things. And instead of bearing it going, no, 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 go, yeah, 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 that is me. God, I'm going to stop being that way. What if you repent of it? And then the last one, what if you replaced it? I'm going to look for ways to build people up instead of tearing them down. Now, I, you can say that right now. Yeah, I'll do that. No, no, no. Actively look for ways to build people up. No, I'm going to do it, Pastor. How? Build them up. Not like think about building them up. Build them up. How are you going to build your spouse up this week? How are you going to build your kids up this week? How are you going to love on your parents and get them to a better place this week? How are you going to care for some of those students in your room, some of those people on your team? How are you going to love on your teacher this week? How, how, are, you going to, how are you going to care for some of the people that you ride on, on the bus with, some of the people that you share the same floor of work with? How are you going to build them up? Send them a text, bring them a gift, have a conversation with them, make time to, to hear about their story, pour into somebody, invest in somebody. This is, what it ha- this is what it's going to take when you replace sitting there going, man, they suck. Man, I wish, they, I wish somebody would show me some love today. Why don't you go do that for somebody else? Why don't you go do that? We love to think about all the things that could happen for us that we, should, we wish would happen to us or for us. And in reality... I think we missed this big picture. God modeled what it looks like to set aside judgment in lieu of grace and mercy. Were you saying that God doesn't bring any judgment? No, no, no. There is a judgment day coming. There is a, a time where every single person will be judged. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10 says that Every single one of us will have to stand before him. Everybody will have to be judged one day. Well, doesn't that make God a hypocrite if he's a loving God, that he's actually going to judge us? No, what you need to understand is that God loved us before it all got broken. And after mankind sinned and and jacked up God's plan, God said, hey, sin is wrong and sin is bad and I'm going to have to judge sin or else I'm not truly a just, righteous God. And because sin needs to be judged, the collateral damage is that the people that hold on to their sin are going to get judged along with it. So because God is so loving and gracious and merciful, he allowed his own son to be sacrificed to pay for our penalty, our sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, Took it on himself when he got nailed to a cross. He took your sin, my sin, our hypocrisy. 
our judgmental attitudes, our anger, our bitterness, our gossip, our hatred. He took all of that on himself. So that one day when we stand before God, that sin is judged and we don't have to go along with it. That's not hypocrisy, that's love and that's grace. And this is where we struggle because we'd say, well, why would God send anybody to hell? Why would God be judgmental on anybody? He doesn't want that. He actually goes to great lengths to say he's not willing that any should perish. He goes to the lengths of allowing Jesus Christ, who is innocent, to die for us. All we have to do is put our faith in Jesus more than we put our faith in ourselves. Well, how do you know that Jesus isn't there just to be judgmental? Do you guys... Maybe you've heard the, the famous verse, John three sixteen that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. That verse is probably the most popular verse in the world, John three sixteen. but verse 17, directly after it, says that God sent his son not to judge, not to condemn, but to save. The whole purpose of Jesus' coming was to save, not be judgmental. Jesus didn't come in and judge everybody. Jesus came in and died for everybody. Hypocrisy and judgmental attitudes, that's not God's fault. And it's truly not the church, not the church the way it's supposed to be. It's indicative of the broken people inside the church that won't acknowledge it in their own lives. What if you and I acknowledged it? What if you and I looked at where we're broken, looked at where we're hypocritical, and instead trusted Jesus to take that away, to make us different, make us better, more than we trust ourselves? That's what it's going to take today. That's what it's going to take in your life, in your marriage, in your workplace. Trusting him in the way he would have done it more than you trust yourself. Will you pray with me? If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. I'd simply ask you to, to respond to God today in whatever way he's calling you to respond. Maybe in the quiet of this moment, you simply need God to forgive you for the wrong attitude forgive you for the way you've treated some of the people in your life. Maybe you need God to change your heart. Maybe you've responded to people you love in a manner you wouldn't want them to respond to you. Don't hold people to a standard that you wouldn't hold yourself. Would you repent of that this morning? God, forgive me. Forgive me for being that way. Forgive me for not cutting people slack like I want them to cut me. Forgive me for not, not being gracious and patient and merciful like you would have been. God, help me love these people in my life, my family member, my coworker. Help me love them like you would have loved them. There's people praying all over this room, and as I pray out loud, you can pray quietly right there at your seat. I believe there's some people under the sound of my voice today that you need to have that prayer that says, God, I need you to save me. You need a prayer right now in your heart and a conversation between you and God, and he knows your very thought this very minute. He knows exactly what you're thinking. What if you had a prayer, a conversation with God right now where you said, God, I can't be in control of my life anymore. God, I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to fix me. I need your help, not my plan. I need your plan. God, I'm moving out of the driver's seat of my life. I want you to be the one in control. God, you call the shots. I need you more than I need me. God, save me. Would you make that your prayer? 
It doesn't have to be those exact words, but it needs to be that process. It needs to be that heart where you invite God into your life. Ask for his forgiveness and let him be the one in control. Whatever it is that you need to pray about, maybe it's somebody you need to pray for, you do that right now. I'm going to pray out loud. You pray quietly right there at your seat. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for what you've done for us. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for dying for us, that you sent your only son, not to condemn, not to judge, but to save. And God, you've called those of us that have embraced Jesus Christ as a savior, to embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord, you've called us to to not live in a judgmental attitude, but instead, God, to find ways to encourage and love those around us. So God, would you help us? Help us trust you as our Savior, trust you as the one who fixes sin, who, who, who rights the wrong. But God, also help us, help us to love those around us. To not sit in a judgmental attitude, but God, instead, find ways to, to care for, to build up, to encourage the people around us. God, we need your help. We ask for your blessing and your empowering in all of this. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.